Uh, well, something else that happened uh, actually today, James, is that I gave a talk about Seesaw Parade. Oh, you did it. I did it. And I can confirm I was asleep when it happened. <laughs> okay. Uh, so, hi to anybody from Fourth Valley College who is actually listening to this episode. I mean, well done in actually following up in what I plugged at the very end. But basically, uh, James, I talked for an hour. I broke down how to do a podcast into five simple steps. Right. And basically, you see operate as the case study. And then... I had some really interesting questions at the end. So questions like, what do you do when your co-host starts going off on a random tangent? Or (laughs) let it play out and delete it in the edit. (laughs) Basically, yeah. I was like, well, you've got to ask yourself, is this relevant to the audience or to the discussion? If it's not, delete it. It's fine. (laughs) Or and helpful advice like, if you start talking about something and you realise halfway through neither of you have done adequate research to really talk about it with any authority, delete it. Yeah, delete everything. And I also told them on multiple occasions, don't listen to the first episode because it's terrible. But now I think because I mentioned it so much, they might actually go and look for it. That's why we need to delete things. We just need to straight up give people no opportunity to listen to two things that are so old that we're embarrassed. It was really fun, though. Uh, and talked about, you know, the marketing side of things and uh, how to get more people listening. And I, I did a callback to, do you remember what we did? I would say for the first hundred episodes or so, we would get in touch with local unsigned bands oh, yeah. and play their songs as the outro. Yeah. And then they'd like retweet and share. You know, we're getting all the sorts of audience listeners from all over the world. Yeah, that great. stuff was smart. And then we stopped doing it. It was hard <laughs> to do, so we stopped doing it. Well, I, I got to the point, I said this to them, I said, look, you get to a point where the enjoyment of the podcast is more important than who's listening. The grind, yeah. Yeah, precisely. And, and getting to that point takes time, and it's a very easy to be disheartened if you know your listening figures aren't regularly in the thousands. Mm-hmm. And, and someone else made a good point. He said, hey, are video podcasts better than audio podcasts? And I said, yes. But we're not doing them. Yeah, it, it kind of it's kind of a, a mixed bag. Sometimes they are better, and sometimes they're worse. You hear some very, uh, very well edited podcasts that clearly wouldn't translate to a video form. Yeah, because you have, you've edited it for radio, which is what I said. I, I said, for example, I'm in a sliding cupboard surrounded by foam. Yeah, with one neon light. There's nothing interesting going on here. I'm not well lit either. Mm-hmm. So, what is video adding to the podcast? Nothing. It'd be good for YouTube content, but that's about yeah. it. So it's it's about finding the medium and then going for it. But then you hear other podcasts, I'm putting that in quotes, where it is just somebody's taking their audio from whatever video form thing they did and put it in a yeah. in an RSS feed. And those don't work. Very true. You see that a lot with like let's say Dungeons and Dragons related podcasts or gaming related podcasts where they're just playing the game, <laughs> but they aren't replacing the visual parts of that with <laughs> any kind of audio description so you lose out on half the content see see, this is why your input would have been really valuable for the students of fourth valley college i hope the class is listening (laughs) (laughs) yeah but we did we did actually get some some more interaction i'll get to it just a second this is of course cease operate episode 243 yes my name's colin and he is still jame i am still jame um i hope that you edited out the sounds of me uh, rummaging with uh, packaging I was I testing I wonder you. what you were doing um, but I do want to review what I am currently eating to start the podcast okay um, I, I recently did another online sh- grocery shop as everybody's doing these days 
Um, of course. And I tried to order two bags of dried mango because that's a great snack and I highly recommend it to anybody. Try not to get ones that are too much too, with too much additional sugar. It's good enough on its own. Instead of getting two bags of dried mango, I got one bag of dried mango and one bag of dried pineapple. Oh. Dried pineapple kind of sucks. <laughs> okay. Why? Half of, the, half of them are really bad. Some of them are okay. Some of the bites are all right. Half of them are really bad because it just tastes like I'm biting into vaguely pineapple-flavored chunks of wood. <laughs> it is mostly fiber. So I do not recommend. This needs some, uh, this needs some, some testing and some improvement. Okay. Solid review. I would uh, say to that, because I know of several people who do that online grocery shopping thing, and any time that the item they've requested is out of stock, they get what's meant to be a like-for-like replacement. Yeah, yeah. And it was my my boss's wife who ordered, it was meant to get eight sweet potatoes, Uh but instead they were out of single sweet potatoes, and so she was given eight bags of 12 sweet potatoes. What? (laughs) It's like, wait, what? How, who Why? came to this conclusion that this was an acceptable like for like? Yeah, that can't be a machine. It was actually clearly a person who's just like, yeah. It's pickers. Pickers do the subs. Mental. That's mad. Like, do they not know how many potato- sweet potatoes are in a 12 bag? <laughs> I don't know. They probably just misread it. But that, that to me seems to be like the kind of thing where either you get just the most horrendously unmatched item possible yeah. or you strike the jackpot. Yeah, sometimes it is jackpot. You like try to order like 500 grams or something and instead you get a kilo, right? <laughs> I feel like potentially that many excess potatoes is just inevitable waste. I don't see a way to get through so many before they start. She, she actually uh, going she off. gave two of the bags back to the Tesco driver. So that was nice of her. <laughs> two. I think she had uses for the other ones. Oh, Food, I don't know. Can you freeze sweet potato? Probably. Probably. I, mean, I don't know. Veg- veggies and freezing isn't the best combo. I was fully expecting you to say that they replaced your second bag of dried mango with an actual mango. Just a mango. I would have taken that over this. <laughs> okay. It feels more it feels more similar. Uh, sometimes the replacements are golden and sometimes they're, they're just dire. But I'm always too polite to say no. They're like, hey, we replaced uh, that cheese that you wanted with like cheese string. I'm like, sure. <laughs> That's I was fine. intending to cook a nice meal with cheese, but I'll take cheese strings. Thanks. <laughs> cheese string lasagna coming up. Okay, well, dear listener, if you have reviewed, if you want to review your online grocery shopping or have any excellent like-for-like tales like James just shared, then you can do at Parade on Twitter or Parade at gmail.com if it's longer form. Had a couple of responses from last week. One in response to Amel's review of every Bond film ever. It was Murray who got in touch to say, I am incensed by her review. The only ones she stayed awake for are terrible. Die Another Day yeah. is beyond terrible. <laughs> All right. Uh, and then he, he added by saying, I was getting genuinely angry listening to that. So there we go. <laughs> Solid review of a review. But it shows that outrage is how they get the clicks. <laughs> it is. We just have to be more outrageous and say more terrible but, you know, obje- objectively opinionated things. Yeah, then we'll get responses. <laughs> okay, well, the other... Um... You know what? I love dried pineapple. It's great. <laughs> the other response we got was from Chris, who was reflecting and agreeing with you, James, that he was having oh. a copy-paste week, which seems to be ah. a, a feeling shared by many right now. Well, uh, I, I would say I'm glad that it's that everybody can empathise with this, but I am genuinely sorry. That this is the way that everybody yep. feels things are. It's a tough time. But you know what? If you want to uncopy paste your week, 
stop by my stream and I'll entertain you for like 30 minutes before you get bored and leave. Exactly. Although, the, sadly, I did, uh, I posted about our Twitch stream last Saturday. Yes. And then got a, a bemused response after I had left from someone who had clicked on it and was expecting to hear, I don't know, our dulcet tones. Yes. And instead was watching whatever you and Annie were doing and was very, was wondering where I was. Was I like a surprise guest? Was I going to pop up later on? Oh, no. And to say, sorry, you missed it. Yeah, you've got to delete those tweets. I never delete them on time. You've got to delete them as soon as the relevant part is gone. Okay, well, talking of deleting things after the relevant part is gone, that would apply to most of the episodes of this show. But let's crack Which on. We should do. It is indeed your new favourite podcast, Scotland's Least Dull Podcast, with yes. the longest running season one of any new slash entertainment podcast in the history of planet Earth. Mm-hmm. Brought to you by Pineapple Wood. And a brand new Rode microphone, which I can heartily endorse. Yeah, actually, actually endorse that. Okay. We've got a lot coming up. We're going to start with Nicola Sturgeon and Scotland stuff, and then we'll move on. Talking vaccines, Boris and Joe Biden falling over. Right, James, there's a whole gamut of oh boy. Scotland stories here. The twist let's start, was huge. Uh, let's start with the main one before we break this down even further. Yes. Nicola Sturgeon has been cleared of breaching the ministerial code over her involvement in the Alex Salmon saga. So this was the findings of the independent inquiry, we talked about it last week, yep. uh, from the Irish lawyer James Hamilton, who was examining whether the First Minister had misled the Scottish Parliament over what she knew and when. So the report summarised that Miss Sturgeon had given an incomplete narrative of events to MSPs, Mm -hmm. but Mr Hamilton said this was a genuine failure of recollection and not deliberate. However... Which happens quite a lot, actually. Okay. And then that was uh, a a vault face in comparison to the actual MSP-based committee, which we touched on last week. Uh, a few hours after we finished recording, <laughs> they finally did publish their findings after it was leaked. And lo and behold, they said it was hard to believe that Nicola Sturgeon was not aware of concerns about Mr. Salmon before the end of 2017. Yeah, yeah. And they concluded Miss Sturgeon had misled their inquiry in her evidence. Yes. So, James, as expected... From the certainly from the parliamentary side of things with this inquiry, they did indeed say that she misled Parliament, whereas the independent inquiry said she didn't, certainly not knowingly. Absolutely. Who's right? Well, I think part of it is that the two different inquiries had slightly different scope. Okay. Part of it is that they're both trying to frame what they're saying in a different way. I think the independent lawyer is just trying to frame things legally. And then the parliamentary inquiry is definitely trying to avoid saying that she knowingly misled parliament without actually admitting that they're not saying that, right? Okay. Because skipping the word knowingly just means that she made a mistake, which is basically the result of what the lawyer is saying as well. He's saying she made a mistake um, and therefore didn't deliberately mislead uh, parliament and then the other inquiry is saying she misled parliament <clears throat> by accident don't tell anyone <laughs> however the surprise for me was that the lawyer didn't come down harder than the the uh, parliamentary inquiry because right. the chatter in all of the places i was in was that they were expecting her to get cleared basically under parliamentary inquiry but then the lawyer with all of his facts and all of his 
uh, time that he spent on this would come down harder and be and but it was the opposite at the end of the day um, which is why last week when we found out that apparently via a leak she was going to be found completely guilty uh-huh. of this and that and the next thing um, we thought it was over almost the whole world thought it was over yep. for her because they expected the lawyer to to come out and have the same result Right, so so my takeaway from this is that as we reflected on last week, we thought that may have been the end. But then after the lawyer came out, and I would say that most media outlets, including I would say myself as well, were giving more weight to the independent inquiry than we would than we would the uh, than we were, I should say, the cross party committee, because of course there's the political motivations on display. Yeah, where. The five opposition members see this as an opportunity to capitalise on her bad judgment, mistakes she's made, to you know claim more seats for their party in the upcoming election. Indeed. So part of that finding, I am crystal clear, is based solely on party politics. Um, I mean, I think... Um, Harvey, leader of the Greens, had a couple of really good yep. speeches basically saying that. How... Their their um, bias was evident before they'd even like had the evidence and and I think if you haven't seen it look it up he did some interviews with I think it he was did a BBC Sky. one yeah. was one of the BBC but I think it was Sky that I saw and then he actually had uh, his statement during the vote of no confidence as well which was really well put and really well said and the Greens are genuinely coming out of this probably looking the best because they seem to be the most impartial group. Um, at the end of the day. Yeah, we, we've also had Anna Sarwar, who is the new Labour leader, who was similarly, when it came to the vote of no confidence, which we'll get to in a second, accused the Tories of grubby party politics mm-hmm. and about forgetting the fact that there are you know, women at the heart of this whole matter yeah. who have largely been forgotten or downtrodden by the entire thing. And on the, on the balance of facts, I would say are more unlikely to come forward in situations like this in future because of how high-profile a mess this has become. Yeah. So just to get back to that point, I believe most weight was given to the independent inquiry, and then when it said that she was cleared of misleading parliament, it was a bit like, oh, okay then, she's okay. Yeah, she's yeah. going to She's going to stay in post. It absolutely. It immediately made the parliamentary inquiry feel completely irrelevant. Yeah. And I was surprised that it wasn't just me that felt that. Just across the board, just all the grandeur and all the puffed up feeling around the parliamentary thing just evaporated. And I think it's at least in part due to the fact that they leaked their result preemptively and then they didn't. They weren't the ones to follow up. They, the next thing that came out was something opposite to the leaks from a different person, but opposed. And then therefore... It made the the leaks feel less relevant. It made their actual findings when it was revealed properly and not as a breach of ministerial code feel less relevant and far less impactful, Okay, which is a huge twist to what we were saying last week where it did feel like, hey, Sturgeon better be preparing a goodbye speech. Indeed. But I want to give myself at least one, hey, you're not a complete idiot point because I did say that because we were saying it, we were probably wrong. And then I also impl- I said that because we recorded anything about it, there would still be yet another twist in the story. So I'm like at least one point of intelligence here. Yeah, we, we preempted the fact that, okay, maybe she was considering her position at the time, but then when the actual independent report came out, she was like, oh, oh no, it's fine. I, I can put away my practice speech. <laughs> yeah. Genuinely, I can imagine there were some speeches torn up. Oh, I'm um, sure. <laughs> 
Yeah. <laughs> so following on from that, the Tories proposed a no confidence vote at Hollywood. Well, they'd already done it. <laughs> well, indeed. They had well, they had one for John Swinney and then they had one for yeah. Sturgeon. I believe that Labour abstained and I, the rest, the Greens certainly voted alongside the SNP yeah. uh, against the motion and uh, the Tories obviously unanimously went for it. Yes. So Sturgeon remains in her post and I fully expect she will see that through. I mean, I'm unsure actually now, you know, things things will eventually settle down. I'm sure this will remain the dark cloud because there were aspects of that report, both the independent one and also the cross-party one, yeah. in which Mistakes the findings were... Yeah, the findings were unanimous in some cases to yeah. do with how the Scottish Parliament had failed uh, to, to handle the allegations properly. So there there are still questions which remain unanswered. So she may well be considering her position at some point. But before we wrap up uh, this particular story, Alex Salmond is taking the Scottish government to court again. Yeah, yeah. Did you see this, James? I saw that he was, and then I read it, and then I was like, huh? Because I didn't quite follow it. So right. give us a spark notes. Okay, so he is taking this legal action over the conduct of the most senior civil servant. Yes. Who is the permanent secretary, Leslie Evans. Uh, Salmon said that she had failed to take responsibility for the botched handling of complaints against him and that uh, he will be instructing his lawyers to bring these proceedings to the court of session. Now, this article I'm reading says that even they are unsure what the legal basis is for this, uh, but it's understood that Salmon intends to sue for an unspecified amount of damages. Ah, and uh, would also be making a formal complaint to the police over the leaking of certain details of the allegations against him to the Daily Record. Yeah. So Miss Evans is still in her position, despite the fact that, yes, she was certainly named as one of the higher profile figures in this mismanagement of the allegations. Yeah, people who who legitimately have been found to have made mistakes that were probably deliberate. Just just to summarise, I said it earlier, I think... Almost everybody does come out of this looking weaker. Well, apart from the lawyer who just did a good job. Um, but there were the, clearly the SNP and the whole system in Scotland made a lot of mistakes. And I, I do expect jobs to go. Yeah. I still expect that Nicola will be pushing in more effort to try and warm up her follow-up act. Whoever it is that's going to take over, I think they definitely just start getting the whole nation familiar with that name and the potential that they're going to be the the, uh-huh. the next leader. Um, I think the Tories have just done what Tories do and embarrassed themselves, um, but have also shown yet more complete hypocrisy, calling for a resignation before any results were were actually found for somebody who has been cleared of breaching ministerial code. Whereas they're happy sitting about with their Tory mates down south, who uh, I think we're we're talking like, well, at least three that I can name have been found of breaching code, if not like many, many more. Yeah. So. I don't understand the levels of hypocrisy. And finally, guess who else comes out bad? Keir Starmer. The one time he stood up and said anything, he stood up and said that, yeah, he thinks Nicola should probably think about resigning. He's not even said similar things about, about again, Boris and co, who have all done the, the legitimate stuff that Nicola was accused of and then not found to have done. And I can't believe it. Keir managed to, to, make, to make a mess of this as well. He refused to condemn Matt Hancock for his breaches and also I think the legal issue in which he was found to have broken the law yeah. and instead said no he should stay in his very important post at this particular time. Indeed. And then as you say called for Nicola Sturgeon to resign. <laughs> it's 
just it's an embarrassment. Okay, well, as I say, linked to all this is also the news that this week the Scottish government has published its draft legislation for holding a second independence referendum. It wants yeah. to hold Ref 2 after the pandemic, but in the first half of this new parliamentary term. Because Parliament uh, has ended its session ahead of the election in uh, seven or eight weeks' time. Uh, the SNP says it will attempt to pass the bill if they win a majority in May's election. Indeed. So, Well, an ind- a pro-independence majority, which could include right. the Greens. So the legislation proposes using the same yes or no question in, as they did in 2014, which was, mm-hmm. should Scotland be an independent country? And as mentioned, the Tories, Labour and Lib Dem all oppose the move, saying that Scotland instead should focus on the recovery from the COVID crisis. Uh-huh. The UK government has also so far refused to consent to a new referendum and uh, First Minister Nicola Sturgeon has previously said as well that it would be needed to ensure the legality of any vote. So, James, I yes. have a view on this and the fact that it's been published this week. And I have an opposing view. Okay, well, let's hear yours first. Oh, I wanted to hear yours just to make sure I could oppose you. Okay, well, I'll go first then. Um, this, to me, seems badly timed. Right. I understand why they've done it, because there is a... I'd say a subsection of SNP supporters slash Scottish people who are desperate for a second referendum. And, I mean, we're only we're less than seven years removed from the first one. So part of it is, okay, we've got to appease these SNP voters. Look, look, everybody, here's a shiny draft bill. Vote for us <laughs> instead of voting or, like, splitting your vote and voting for, I don't know, Jim Humphreys and his new Scotland Independence Party. Ah, yes. So part of it, I would say, is appeasing their own side. Mm-hmm. The second part of it, I would say, is almost as a distraction technique. Indeed, It's yes. like, hey, okay, we've been talking about sturgeon and salmon for so long, let's talk about independence instead. Because yeah. at least in that case, we can have an argument instead of just being berated and calling for resignations. Yes. And you can talk about the constitution until you're blue in the face, and you can talk about blah, 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 taking control of Scotland. And that sort of rhetoric is far less harmful than the botched handling of sexual harassment slash sexual assault allegations. Mm-hmm. And third of all, I have said this before, it's too soon. It's it's too <laughs> soon to hold a second referendum. We did talk, and I know that the SNP said it as well, this was going to be a once-in-a-generation vote. Seven years, I know it's only introducing draft legislation, but seven years is not a generation. Even, let's say, let's say what, the first half of the parliamentary term, let's add a, a couple of years on, 2023, that's, that's nine years. It's right. less than a decade. That is right. not a generation. Yes. Now, I, would, I, I know at some point there will be a second referendum. Uh, and if the support is there, fine. But the, but the issue is, if they hold a second referendum and they lose again, that is it. Yeah, it is done. It should be. It is a dead issue. Indeed. Okay, so that's th- that's my view. I think this is a mistake. What do you think? Uh, I think it's their only really o- the only really good option. Uh, I think they're playing the right card. I think. Okay. Maybe it's too soon for some people to imagine um, that we can have another independence referendum. But the fact is, if they get out this draft bill and they say to the nation, "If you vote for us and other pro-independence parties." This is what we're working with. And then they get those votes. 
they have probably the strongest mandate they could possibly ask for to to ask for and hold a referendum. Right. Uh, because it doesn't matter if the SNP said we wait a generation. The people of Scotland have said no. We'll vote for this bill now. Okay. And what do you want? Do you want to listen to Simon's promises from seven years ago, or what the people of Scotland asked for in a vote about basically what has become over uh, this legislation, which has been added and published very widely, um, that this is a part of the vote. Uh, two, 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 two. The big point about the generations thing, I don't believe it anyway. I think I think more has changed in the last seven years than you could expect to a change in a generation of politics. Uh, primarily, all the promises that were given to Scotland about what would happen if we stayed with the UK have been reneged on. They've been forgotten. We've not had them delivered. Okay. Uh, we've also left an entire other union, which completely fundamentally changes the power balances within the nation. Um, so... As far as I'm concerned, we are generations away from the last vote because of how much has changed um, for the nation. But I think if, if, if there is any time to be trying to change things, it is right at the peak of uh, the, the displays of an incompetent UK government and the lack of power we have to, com- to combat that from, the, from Scotland. So I think as far as, as far as they can go, this is probably the best move they have um, to in terms of when to announce a bill, I, I see those points. In terms of the actual percentage of Scotland who would vote yes, there was a new surveyion poll which came out this morning. Yeah, which said that uh, there's only a majority for yes if yes is pushing to join the EU again. Ah. If it's just a straight yes no without any sort of strings attached, then no is winning. Right. Once again. Right. After several months of, of rising support. I would believe in part uh, due to the Salmon Sturgeon fiasco. Yeah, and in part due to people forgetting that Boris Johnson really had has almost nothing to do with the success of the vaccination right. program and almost everything to do with the failures of the in- infection program. Well, um, we'll get to him, we'll get to him later on, but yes. just a a question on that point. If let's say this referendum does take place 2023, maybe 2024 to mark 10 years since the first one, Mm-hmm. It's it's really is looking into your giant crystal balls at this point, but which are always inaccurate. They are. Is is it even worth holding a referendum without knowing you've got a, a, a strong chance of winning? Because if you go in, they've got a strong uh, chance of no, winning. No, no, but even right now, when it is so delicately balanced, you know, surely you would wait until you you were almost a dead cert to win. I don't think there's ever going to be a dead cert to win. Not with the way that okay. the media and the power structure of the UK is so ready to push propaganda that is pro-UK. I think this is about as dead cert as you can get with all of this empire on the other side pushing back against it. Um, we've had like several years worth almost of the polls being either close or pro-independence with or without the EU just because it's changed for the last couple of months and is now more questionable and maybe like more pro-EU rather than pro-Indie or sometimes calling back as a no, I don't think that undoes the fact that for several months, especially during the early parts of the pandemic, the polls were coming in very strongly in favour of independence. Yeah. Even with uh, all the people replying that they didn't know. So I I don't think it gets more likely than this. If you look at the last campaign, it started from a much weaker position and it built up to a pretty close vote at the end of the day. Um, 
However, I think the thing that's going to make any independence referendum in the future of Scotland uh, not really functional is that I don't expect the UK government to ever again allow it legally. So, what was it? That, that's another. They're going problem. to use whatever powers they have. They have, yeah, they're going to use whatever powers they have to make it just a referendum that is informative or a referendum that is uh, not legitimate. Uh, I don't expect they are going to want to risk allowing it to happen from any position of, of the yes is even likely. That's why we got the last one. It's because they were so sure that it wouldn't be close. Right, James, we've got some more news to talk. But first, let's move on to the world of entertainment and what we've been watching. Uh, a couple of uh, headlines in the world of movies, which I will tease before I ask you what you've been watching. Piers Brosnan and also Avatar stuff All right. coming up. But first, James, what have you watched that you would like to share this week? The only thing I have finished, Captain Marvel. Oh, Okay. Was, yeah. Is that a first time watch? I never watched it when it first came out. I'll get to that in a second. I've got two movies and two TV shows. I'm going to give you my two quick ones first, and then I'll have my, my more in-depth ones, because I have to think about the second one okay. after I hear from you. So, finished The Office Season 6. We are slowly, myself and Graham, working our way towards a conclusion. My thoughts are basically the same as every other <laughs> season, which is... I just don't like the character of Michael Scott. You've heard me say it a bazillion times. I just don't like it. I genuinely don't like him. Like, he'll do things like in one of the most recent episodes, he realizes he is the the mistress of a, a married couple. And he just doesn't care until, like, the very, very last, like, two minutes of the episode. Right. And I know this is what they do. They make him out to be, like, a bad guy or an idiot for the vast majority of the time. And then at the very end, he has this about turn and he's suddenly a likable dude. Yes. I just don't like him. Right. Because the majority of the time is spent making him unlikable. Okay. I think at this point in the show, you've got a legitimate dislike for the character. It's not like season <laughs> one anymore. Yeah. And I would say that it's the rest of the supporting cast that make it... A, a stronger show. Absolutely. And it's why I still enjoy it. And the the majority of the episodes still have at least a couple big laughs in it, which is why I'm still watching it, because it's fun. You know, it's an enjoyable yeah, show. Yeah, no, it's, the, it's, it's everybody else that makes it watchable. If everybody, if all the characters were as, uh, were anything like uh, Michael, it would not be a good show. Right. I, I've also rewatched Hustlers, which is the 2018 movie about a group of women who initially start out as strippers and then eventually start robbing Wall Street men. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This movie is actually excellent. And I remember reviewing this at the time. Jennifer Lopez genuinely was robbed of any sorts of awards recognition. She may have got some from, you know, Independent Spirit right. and some of the uh, indie film festivals around the world. But genuinely, genuinely, she should have got uh, an Academy nod at least ah. for this. She's she's great. Okay. And Constance Wu in the lead role is also excellent. It's it's the kind of movie though that you would watch. Uh, <laughs> certainly without your parents there is a lot of uh, stripper poles and things kind of dangling and wobbling <laughs> and shaking so, I can't, you know, for, for I me, can't believe dangling was your first word unless <laughs> well, you mean an true. entire person off of a pole yeah like dang yeah you know what I mean shuggling <laughs> shaking Shuggling. and the thing is in the cinema I remember the amount of kind of 
male sexual tension that was going on was uh, ridiculous. But for myself and Graham sitting in the living room, it was just a really enjoyable watch. I was like, yes, girl, you get that. You do that upwards sliding backwards on your... Upwards sliding backwards <laughs> on your... your the, the downwards, like, when you put your legs in the air and you slide down a pole upside down. Yes, you do that. <laughs> You get it. Absolutely. You know, if you can, it's so impressive. And Jennifer Lopez looking as phenomenal as she does at the age of 50. I mean, bravo. If I look like that at age 50, I'd be delighted. You've also probably had a lot of surgery. <laughs> well, we'll see. I don't have enough money for that yet. But it, Hustlers genuinely is excellent. I really enjoy it. So that's my two quick ones. I'll save my bigger ones after I hear what you thought of Captain Marvel. Just to clarify, the implication not being that, that J-Lo has had a lot of surgery, but that Colin doesn't look much like her. That's the joke. Yet. Yet. Yet, exactly. Captain Marvel. Yeah, it was kind of all right, I guess. Uh <laughs> It passed the time. I was I was mostly just waiting for the fun bits, and then they didn't really get any fun. Okay. And then the film was over. Um, <laughs> the, it was at least somewhat interesting with the way they play the good guy, the good guy, the good guy, bad guy yep. uh, dynamic. That's true for the for the for the film. So I give it a lot of credit for that. They didn't they they saved the reveal just long enough. Before they did the 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 switcheroo, but then the switcheroo happened in like a minute, and it wasn't <laughs> it wasn't really worth all the effort. Okay, everybody does a decent job. All the acting's decent. The CGI, especially the de aging CGI, is like decent, kind of mm-hmm. clunky. Yep. Um, there's a cat, and I like cats, and it turns out, hey, maybe it isn't a cat, and that's kind of interesting, but ultimately not very at all interesting. It was just kind of like a, another gimmick. I think this film has a lot of gimmick. Um. And and it's got a decent foundation, but it doesn't really explore it very much. It's like I'm a woman, and I got I got punched a lot, and I stood back up anyway. Yeah. And it's standing up that defines me, not my gender. And I'm like, yeah, that's fine. Build on it. And then they didn't. They didn't bother building on it. That that was the message. Yeah, the message. They just showed you the message a couple of times, and then didn't actually build it at all. They just like displayed it. They might as well have had a billboard that said it, and it would have been more interesting. Um, but this is it. The performances are fine. The designs are all fine. Everything's fine. It's a very fine film. Once again, it's fries. Okay, nice cup of fries. Or just like yep. slightly overcooked fries? Overthought fries? Yeah, yeah. What it is is maybe like fries with just a little too much seasoning because they right. heard that seasoning is good, and they just went, Sure. Here's a vat of pepper. But they didn't like make it interesting seasoning. It was just like, here's salt and then more salt. Okay. A couple of questions. First of all, did you like Ben Mendelsohn in his uh, villainous role? Yeah, he did, he did all right. I feel like he wasn't really there. <laughs> okay. They kind of got rid of him a wee bit. Right. He was just kind of like existed and didn't do anything interesting. Talos, that's his name. Yeah, as, as, as Talos. Talos, who, who hey, maybe they're going to appear again soon. I, I believe he is getting a Marvel TV show. Yeah. Second question. Okay. Did the young Monica Rambeau, did it ring any bells with WandaVision? Because she is one of the main characters. <laughs> hmm. Hmm. Yes, it did. Um, I, I, can, I think they did a pretty good job in WandaVision of giving us a, a character from a previous film um, and justifying their existence and justifying a lot of their characteristics. And um, I think those two things combined make for, again, a pretty decent character. Okay. But it didn't, again, Monica Rambo, not especially inspiring so far. Um, 
but they've got again a really good foundation. But they need to build on that really good foundation. Yep. Okay, we'll see if they do. Right, I've got one movie and one TV show to get to. I'm going to start with the movie. It's another Oscar contender. And it is One Night in Miami. It's on Amazon Prime, and it is telling the fictitious story of a meeting of four of the most famous black men in the 1960s. So it's Cassius Clay, a.k.a. Muhammad Ali, mm-hmm. Malcolm X, the singer Sam Cooke, and the NFL star Jim Brown. Right. So this is directed by Regina King in her debut. So Regina King is the lead star in Watchmen. Oh, yeah. Uh, Miss uh, Silver Knight. No, Sister Knight. There we go, Sister Knight. Sister Knight. So this is her uh, directorial debut, and it's got the likes of Kingsley Ben-Adir, Aldous Hodge, uh, Leslie Odom Jr., who is the one who's nominated for Best Actor, and uh, Lance Reddick. So this movie is enjoyable if you're in it for the performances and very similarly to Ma Rainey's Black Bottom which I talked about last week mm-hmm. if you're in it for the wider story so it's been nominated for best adapted screenplay and again the dialogue is is absolutely one of the strongest suits okay. the gist of the plot is Malcolm X is attempting to argue his case for the rest of them to fight for the black cause by joining the nation of Islam with Cassius Clay just about to join. Yeah. But what unfolds is personal jibes about Sam singing to white folks mm-hmm. instead of playing his part, and Jim, who's ditching his NFL career for movies, and uh, Malcolm himself, who clearly has more going on under the surface than he lets on. It is really fascinating, but again, it is one where you have to be paying attention. It's talk heavy. Right, right, right. And I'd right. say three quarters of the movie is set in one motel room right. with the four of them. So you're not sitting there waiting for the fun to happen. You're kind of just no. trying to absorb it all successfully. Yeah, it basically what it does, it sets the scene for all four with you know going to, going to various locations and then they're all in one place for the majority of the film and then they go their separate ways and you get a wee kind of summary of what they all did. Right. So Leslie Odom Jr.'s nomination, he plays Sam Cooke, is well-earned... I don't think he'll win. Okay. And this is a tricky one because I don't really know who Sam Cooke is. Yeah. Whereas with Cassius Clay and Malcolm X, they're far better known. So it's easier for me to judge. So, for example, with Malcolm X, who's played by English actor Kingsley Ben-Adir, mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a good impression, if that's fair. Okay. And Cassius Clay, the actor who plays uh, Cassius Clay, his name escapes me. I know Aldous Hodge plays uh, Jim Brown. But again, it's someone who is very convincing as Cassius Clay. But I'm unsure if that's what they were aiming for. Okay. So, because there's a difference between imitating someone who's very well known or playing a character who we're unfamiliar with. So, for example, a good example... So, a good example of this is... Benedict Cumberbatch playing Alan Turing yeah, yeah, in the imitation yeah, game. Follow. Because we knew we knew who Alan Turing was as a historical figure, but we don't know what he was like. Yeah, not so much, yeah. So Cumberbatch has some room to play with him, essentially. He's got a lot of freedom. Whereas with More some freedom of, than Turing had. <laughs> absolutely. So with these characters in One Night in Miami, we know who they are, we know what they were like. So you've got less freedom. To give them their own yeah. character. Yeah, yeah. You can't really spin it. Otherwise, people will be like, this isn't like the real one at all. Right, exactly. So it's tougher for me to say Leslie Odom Jr. deserves it because I don't know who he's playing. But right. with the material he has, he's excellent. Then did he feel like a human? 
Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah, he's, he's, well, he's pretty good. Flesh and blood and anger and rage and very, very talented, a great singer as well. So it is good, but... Oh, an excellent singer. Similarly to the other Oscar movies I've uh, reviewed so far, it's just, it's a lot to take in. So if you're going to watch it, just make sure you've had some coffee. <laughs> fair, fair. Get, get the caffeine popcorn again. Before I get to the movies, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give a shot at reviewing a TV show, which is a first for me. It's RuPaul's Drag Race. Ah, an excellent show. Right, so let me give you some context first before you decide to skip forward. I have never sat down and watched a season of this because, and I've, I've had to think about this, I would say that over the years I was dealing with a lot of internalised homophobia. Yes. So I would see, for example, uh, my former flatmate, John, who is the CJ Banks on Instagram, a fantastic Mm -hmm. drag queen in Glasgow, also the first person ever dated, wasn't doing drag at the time. But when we we were living together, he would have drag race on in the background and I would just, you know, I would kind of walk in or, you know, he'd be doing work and I'd be doing work and I would catch bits of it and I would think, I'm not that gay. Like, I'm, I'm not gay enough right. to really vibe with this show. Right. And But part of that, I do feel part of that was just me not coming to terms with things. And kind of, Absolutely. And kind of viewing myself as, you know, I, I still like straight stuff. Yeah. But, and so I would say that that's some issues I was dealing with myself. No, that, that kind of conflict is completely normal. And if anybody is struggling with it, do keep trying to overcome it. Yeah. Even though it's normal and you shouldn't feel bad about it. There okay. So I also, I would say part of it is I also didn't feel like I fit at the time. I wouldn't say I was yes. fitting in the community just because I, I, yeah, lots of issues to deal with. So. Well, yeah, you present less overtly anything, right? Right. And that's valid. But so is being super overt. It's yep. also valid. But one of them's more subtle and therefore it has struggles to fit in. Yeah. So in 2021. RuPaul's Drag Race Season 2 UK is on BBC3 and you can watch it on the uh, the iPlayer for the next year and it has 12 UK queens who are all competing for the title of the next drag superstar. Indeed. And Graham started watching it and because I'm always, you know, we did the freaking Marvel watch along and basically everything we watch is usually steered by me because I've, you know... I'd, You're the shepherd. Right. Because I've, you know, movie stuff is my stuff. I know it. Absolutely. Whereas this was very much him introducing me to a show. And initially I was a bit like, well, you know, we'll see how it goes. Right. Even like the, you know, I think maybe the second or third episode, he went to, he, he watched it in a virtual watch along with his pals mm-hmm. whilst I played Call of Duty. Right. But as the as the show continued, I actually got more and more into it. And, and here's why. Mm-hmm. The show is so much more than the likes of Britain's Got Talent uh-huh. or X Factor uh-huh. or another reality show because it's about expression it's not about this person can sing really good here's 12 weeks of them singing really good yeah or this person's a great cook look watch them cook for the next 12 weeks different things Mm -hmm. it's the kind of show where they're given a theme i'll pick one uh, prehistoric and the the queens then have to come up with a look which relates to that. Yes. So, of course, you have some who come out as sort of cave woman inspired drag or dinosaur inspired drag. And then you get a queen like Bimini Bomboulash who comes out as an amoeba. <laughs> yeah. It's incredible. <laughs> the makeup, yeah. the dress, everything that has been made from scratch 
I think that is incredible that you've actually yeah. you have the ability to do that. Now, I, I would I would argue a little bit pro cooking shows would to be something along that line as well. They very like some of the more interesting ones definitely veer towards expression, right? But not to this degree. Oh, I see. I see your point. But but what's more to me, what's more interesting to me with this show, is that almost to a person, each of the contestants have their own story, a backstory, an experience, yeah. family issues. Yes. Uh, you know, one of the queens, Ellie Diamond, who's 21 and was just doing these incredible uh, looks, you know, massive flowing gowns and unbelievable makeup, 21 years old and whose dad essentially chucked him out the house when he came out. Yeah. And his mum has been his rock and he's telling the show in the, you know, the kind of cutscenes you know, how much this means to him. And, and any time it comes up, and there was a couple of times during the show, he just had to stop because he was he was crying so much. Yeah. And it's it's the kind of show where I, I finally felt like I connected with it. All right. Because I think before I just saw it as, oh, it's gay people doing gay things. Right. Which is a completely generalized stereotype of this show. This show is for anybody yes. who appreciates the art, the creativity, the expression, and people exposing a really personal side of themselves mm-hmm. that I am yet to feel fully comfortable doing in public. So at the end of the show, <laughs> this is where my opinion comes in, I don't think they picked the right winner. <laughs> <gasps> so they gave it to Lawrence Cheney, who is a, a Scottish queen. Yes. Who is, who is you know, plus size, very funny, had done very well from the start of the show, but would have been considered the probably standard winner like if you were going to look at all the queens halfway through the season you'd say okay Lawrence is probably going to win yes whereas the vast majority of social media reaction has been no you should have given it to Bimini Bomblu- uh, Bimini Bomboolash right who had actually been thinking outside the box all right and yeah. had really stepped up her game from the start of the show until the very end it was was really doing interesting stuff so that to me is the only my my feedback on the show, and I would be delighted to hear if anyone else had actually watched it, Man. just to see if you disagree. I yeah, to to almost to my shame, I never gave it a chance because uh, I've only really seen um, episodes, and never an entire season from the standard US version. Yeah, so my experiences are very much it's a marketing thing. There's so much push marketing, yep. and it's over edited and over hyped right. and they try to add more emotion than is is really there. So I've never religiously watched a season and I probably should have given this a go. So and I might. I might try and find a means to. So yeah, I mean of course the show is is with its flaws. There's still a lot of yeah. kind of jokes slash comments where I don't get it and I have to ask Graham, you know, what what did that mean? Or, you know, what are they talking about? Right. And he has to explain, oh it's it's this. Or perhaps there's a callback to a to a different season or a different show. And uh, you know, it just goes over my head. Right. And it is, as you say, it's very polished for the social media, for the social media age we live in. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, of course, there's, like with most reality shows, there are parts where you can see, okay, the producers had a hand here to say, mm-hmm. I think you should say this, or I think this should be your reaction. But yeah. what gets it for me is that, first of all, it's it's a UK-based show, and some of these queens, particularly uh, particularly Lawrence, I'd actually seen do a couple of shows, and I knew of. Right, right. And, you know, one's from Glasgow, one's from Dundee, and other ones are from London and Norwich. So it's it's more, I want to say, relatable than it will be, yeah. people who are from Missouri or Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. So f- from that point of view, it's just an entertaining show. It has its flaws, it has its problems, but as a 
as a way of watching people explore what they can do creatively. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I genuinely thought it was it was really really good fun. I look forward to to the next season, which I know this uh, this has been a bit more uh, of a personal take, but I felt like I had kind of overcome a barrier of sorts because yeah, in the past I would have said RuPaul's Drag Race, no chance, not gonna, I'm not going to watch that. Yeah, but actually having having watched it, I I feel like better about me if that makes sense. No, absolutely, it makes sense. Yeah. and like anybody can relate to that. You don't have to have like. Sem- like self oppression for like anything like uh for homophobia or anything like that you can relate to it as just a man because men are not allowed to enjoy watching these things yeah men yeah. are not allowed to relate to these things because of the way that we've developed this toxic masculinity in our society which is legitimate and a lot of people struggle with and i think all men should be able to watch this stuff and enjoy it. And they shouldn't have to feel like they need to make excuses or say that they're watching it so they can have a giggle or because their wives are making them do it and this and that and the next thing. But that's the kind of chat we still see. So these kinds of shows getting the popularity that they get and the kind of hype that they get on social media is is really cool. Uh, Or this kind of show getting the popularity and the hype it gets on social media is really cool. Because then it breaks down some of those barriers, not just for people with these extreme levels of self-oppression, yep. but for people who are just struggling with understanding that masculinity is a social construct and we can all forget about it. Correct. Okay, let's move on to other entertainment news. A couple of stories for you. The first one being that Pierce Brosnan is stepping into the world of superheroes, the former James Bond is going to be playing the role of Fate, yeah. Dr. Fate. In the new black. Was, Sorry, I had to. That was dire. <laughs> He's uh, going to be playing the. Uh, I want to say the the classic hero, Doctor Fate, against yes. the villain of Dwayne Johnson in Black Adam. So yeah. just to just to make sure I'm I'm right here, the the movie is called Black Adam, which I think is a villain, a villainous role. Like, uh, yeah, I think maybe like they're aiming for anti-hero. Okay. So Dwayne Johnson, The Rock, is playing Black Adam and uh, Pierce Brosnan is going to be up against him. What do you think of this? It's a pretty cool move. DC's got this strange ability to cast big names in terms of acting into somewhat strange roles and strange films. Um, And they're going to keep doing it. And it's it's pretty nice. I'm glad they're bringing in a relatively unknown um, character for him to play. I I don't know too much about comics as always. All all I would all I would have known about Doctor Fate before this is that they've existed for a long time. They're one of the one of the age old characters, but I don't really know how to define them. I don't really know what they do, and I think this is going to be DC's strong point if they just embrace it. Is that they can do weird stuff, one off movies. Uh, they can they can bring in big actors to okay. to play uh, relatively unknown known and just keep testing things. And this could be good again. And who knows? Black Adam. We've been talking about it for. A long time. Yes. If it eventually does get made, it still could be interesting. It still could be good. Okay. One final piece of news. This is that blockbuster Avatar is now once again the highest grossing movie of all time. Because it has been re-released in China. Yes. The sci-fi epic was initially released in 2009 and held that global box office king title for a decade until Endgame 
overtook it in 2019. Yeah. So it's been re-released, which means it is now above the $2.8 billion mark mm-hmm. uh, as of this past weekend. Obviously, China has been the top performing film market since the start of the pandemic. Yeah, and Avatar hadn't had success before there, so it's basically a release. Yeah, so I'm actually unsure as to why they released this again Money. other than to get the the top spot yeah, back money. which seems a bit cynical well they didn't they haven't there's not been so many films getting produced so they've got to try and make money somehow yeah um and the f- the, the like the, the ability for western media to be released in china has dramatically shifted over the last decade where things are now actually successful there indeed and this being a film that is very tame uh, and doesn't really explore anything political. Not really. It kind of does with like, hey, don't destroy the earth. It can have a lot of success there. And they, they predicted it right. They've re-released it and they've made the most money that a film has made uh, in the market this year. And did they have? Uh, or, or rather, the most a Western film has made this year. Tenet being the one that had the most before it. Gosh. Um, and yeah, now they're the top film again. And my expectation for what happens next is that uh, Marvel take a leaf out of the DC book and they do a four-hour supercut of Endgame um, and do an, a re-release of their own and try and try, try and bring the peg back. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Okay, before we wrap up with one final segment, if you, dear viewer, have finished anything or want to review your own packet of dried mangoes, you can send it to us. Pineapple. Sop, sorry, dried pineapple. Seesaw Parade at gmail.com and we will play it yeah. on the show as we have done uh, more often in recent weeks which is great so thank you and, and you know what I've eaten a couple more bites of, of dried pineapple as the show went on and the, the percentage of decent bites to not decent bites has swung more in favour of decent bites again oh, so okay. the review is is, is it's a little, little, little less bad but I'm still not recommending it Okay, James, back to some actual news. Let's start with Boris Johnson telling a private meeting of Tory MPs that the success of the UK's COVID vaccine programme was down to capitalism and Mm. greed. Yeah, and then he followed that up with, forget I said that. (laughs) Indeed, yeah. Sources said the PM had then insistently withdrawn his comments after making them <laughs> during a Zoom call he with backbenchers. He said back them out loud by accident. Right. So, so what's going through his mind here? Because as uh, this report says, it did sound like the kind of thing he, he he's blurted out and then realised, well, hold on a second. This is news. Yes. He said the quiet part out loud. <laughs> um, because if, you, if anybody on a slightly left-leaning side of the aisle tries to say that capitalism and greed uh, can be used in a sentence together, we'll be told, no, capitalism has got nothing to do with greed. Right. So of course he had to take it back. This is evidence that even the most ardent capitalists see that greed is a big part in that system um, and want and, and uh, sometimes they want to boast about it. And I guess they, he boasted about it in a crowd that was a little bit more public than he than he usually would. I'm, 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 I'm assuming they say this kind of thing all the time when there is no record being taken of what's being said. Yeah. Um. But yeah, he just he just brags. He's he 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 wants to brag about stuff. They've got a successful vaccine program. He wants to try and make it about them rather than the real reason it's been successful, which is that it's one of the few things that the government really didn't have much power over, <laughs> except providing funds early on. Right. 
which they did. So he wants to take the credit for that part. Right, well, linked to this is the news that the UK and the EU have said they are now going to work together to improve their relationship after weeks of tension Mm -hmm. over the COVID vaccine supplies. Now, this has been replicated across Europe, the likes of Germany, France, Belgium, only at around the 8 to 10% of adults vaccinated compared to the UK, which is at half. Yeah. So the European Commission had uh, earlier proposed tougher export controls on vaccines coming from the UK mm-hmm. uh, amid tensions over the Oxford AstraZeneca jab. Yeah. Uh, but then Boris came back and said that blockades were not sensible. And now after clearly some great therapy they've decided right we should probably try and work together yeah. instead of just saying mean things about each other yeah the the eu has been blundering on this for a long time so much so that leaders of countries within the eu are saying very different things to the leaders of the eu and i'm not surprised that they've had to turn around and say like okay i guess we should work together because there was no way there was no way they could try and do this about um, a huge amount of time and money being spent on courts and lawsuits because basically what they're trying to suggest is that uh, the companies providing vaccines are not fulfilling contracts, whereas the UK is saying that they are. Yeah. Um, and blockades are clearly not the solution to that kind of a disagreement. So, so what is the solution here? Because clearly this is a, a major problem. We're seeing the likes of uh, Germany, France, uh, both proposing further stricter lockdowns. Well, yeah, because the, the Europe is experiencing its third wave um, if Twitter trends are to be considered news. Um, and there are more lockdowns being uh, considered. There are more lockdowns being imposed because there isn't enough vaccination and there is this uh, another outbreak. Um, so the solution... And the best one we have is to work together and try and target areas within the EU with whatever supply is available um, to reduce uh, the total number of infections. And the UK is interested in that. Of course we are. And we'd be interested in helping and sharing our vaccine. Slight surplus that we occasionally have, I am sure, because the less infections there are in the EU, the less there will be in the UK, even if we're having a successful vaccine rollout. There was talk this week that anyone who left the country would be fined five grand. Did you see this? Yeah, I saw that. Again, um, the Tories with their fines that only make the poor people not do things. Because if you're rich, uh, five grand is kind of like what you'd tip the hotel. Yeah, it's it's essentially, so. to me, like a money-making scheme. Because the people who are going to be flying have the money to be like, five grand? Yeah, sure. Yeah. So they'll get money from the people who this doesn't punish, and they'll just punish the poor, who still either do it or who now are limited in what they can do. And the fine system is ridiculous. At least, like The fine system as it stands is ridiculous. If it was, if it was proportional to income, I'd be all for imposing fines on this, that, and the next thing. Um, but clearly, they're just trying to... Uh, limit what the poorers can do to no expense or very minimal expense for the for the wealthy among society. Okay, one or two stories still to go. Let's uh, move over to the states and something more serious. Uh, there was another mass shooting this time in yeah. Colorado in the city of Boulder where a gunman killed 10 people. Two shootings that we haven't really talked about here. Indeed, there's the one in Atlanta. We'll get to that in yeah. a second. Uh, so this first guy had killed uh, 10 people, including a, a police officer, at a grocery store in which the suspect was eventually detained. Yeah. And uh, the shooting part of it certainly was live streamed on YouTube. Yeah. 
this uh, again added to the noise following the mass shooting in Atlanta at, a, I want to say, a number of spas where the majority of the victims were Asian American. Well, yeah, this was a, a, a racially driven hate crime. Right. So I have... Um, I've yet to actually follow up on the the suspects in either case because I would say, and this may just be the media outlets I'm reading, are focusing on the victims, which is a good thing as opposed to kind, uh, yeah, kind of blazoning the emblazoning the name of the shooter or the alleged shooter yeah. everywhere because the problem and certainly some of the criticism of the media in the case of other shootings was the shooter became more famous than those he killed or murdered, I yeah, should say. Yeah. You, you've been listening to the good media then because a lot of the problem of the fallout of the, um, the hate crime shooting was that there was this... A very large attempt by a lot of the media and a lot of the system to minimize what the what the guy did. Such things as saying, I think it was like uh, the sheriff or something was saying that the guy had just had a bad day, and the media is replicating this story across the land and right. um, all of this. Uh, uh, loads of an uh, of effort being put into excusing what he did, uh, or redirecting it away from like the hate crime that it clearly was uh, that the media and Trump and and everybody who has been uh, pushing this lie that we need to call out the virus, the China virus and all this stuff uh, are all culpable for. All these things are culpable for this yep, yep. Uh, hate crime. So they're trying to distract it and say, the guy had a bad day. He, uh, he, uh, he was really struggling with uh, his, his uh, like sexuality and uh, his faith. And all of, this, all of these excuses, um, trying to minimize it. And yes, they, they, they talked about the victims, but they kind of talked about the number of victims and not the fact that they were all or mostly... Uh, Chinese or, or uh, Asian, yeah. Um, and the second the second uh, shooting, the one in Colorado, I've not seen so much talk about. Which, yeah, as you say, is great. It's great that we're not um, getting yelled at what the guy's name was. And um, but I did also see that um, the media started covering uh, the name of the accused as soon as they found out it wasn't a very white sounding name. Um, and and we haven't really talked about the fact that. Hey, we managed to, or the states, people, the police in the states managed to uh, just contain this shooter rather than, you know, explode him or something. Uh, whereas other people of specifically much darker co- colors uh, will be executed for much less than this. Yeah. Um, so why can't they have the same kind of leniency as this dude had and all this stuff? So there's a lot to talk about here. And uh, yeah. We can praise the media for not giving us the names of the uh, uh, perpetrators, but there's a lot of criticism I have for the result for their responses in other ways in both cases, because there's not enough accountability on either front for for different reasons. Okay, well, this led to a discussion or several discussions uh, at the highest level of politics uh, between a bunch of Democrats and Republican lawmakers. They also had some people in to testify. Uh, James, do you expect that this will lead to any significant changes in gun laws in the states? Uh, gun laws, no. Um, I don't really see any way to change gun laws in the states, even from the highest of the highs. It's almost a way to sacrifice your integrity just because specific groups have managed to entrench it as part of identity almost. Um, so until that kind of 
identity aspect of gun ownership is somehow removed from the society. There's not uh-huh. really a way to, to make massive changes. I also don't expect uh, any Democrat to be brave ever, um, or at least none of the establishment Democrats, um, and, and, and hold up their word on anything. Uh, what I would expect from uh, Joe Biden-led any uh, anything would be a token gesture or two. Uh, a little bit of uh, a little bit of uh, a small response that that really wouldn't do much. The same kind of stuff as we saw from them with respects to BLM, where they were publicly taking the knee and publicly wearing specific garb to try and identify themselves as um, empathize empathizing with these groups, but instead weren't actually doing anything. So they do the they do the ID part. They don't do the the meaningful part of, of making a change. And um and and there's a lot of culpability with people who are who are mixing messages about uh, race and class and all this stuff into all of this because um there's this idea going about that uh, you can't be racist to Asians because most of them are successful and you can't be racist to one group of people if you are from another group of people. And and I think the establishment in the States just seems to be so keen on making no actual difference, mostly by confusing the people as to what the where the fault actually is. Yeah. Okay, one slightly lighter-hearted story for you to finish up. It's Joe Biden falling over. This is the uh, news last week that the president slipped thrice on the steps going up to Air Force One. Yeah, yeah the triple slip. It, it, it's, it didn't seem to be particularly painful. His uh, press secretary said he was fine. But of course, uh, this calamity of errors led to his critics uh, jumping on, metaphorically, the 78-year-old yeah. who was uh, preparing to depart Maryland for Atlanta. <laughs> I saw a lot of people in, in right-wing hemispheres kind of being like, well, they they belittled Trump when Trump couldn't do things like go down a ramp and drink a bottle of water. So of <laughs> course we make fun of Biden when he falls up down the stairs. And I'm like, well, I think falling on the stairs is a bit more reasonable than than those ones for starters for seconders uh go ahead make fun of him uh he fell down the stairs <laughs> um, well, yeah. and he's old and it's expected but it is it's it's somewhat um it's it's of course somewhat hilarious when the most powerful person in the planet just like gets defeated by stairs um and it, it is just due to his age i am sure and it's due to a frailty that comes of age i am sure and we are as the world expecting far more from him than he can deliver at his age yeah and that's a shame but there is still some aspect of hilarity to this especially cuz nobody was harmed yeah i mean it certainly has done little to dissuade those who say he was far too old he is of course the oldest president in history yeah he is old <laughs> he is he's too old yep like the only hope is that the, he's so old that he won't go for a second term and therefore won't waste an entire year campaigning, you know? I got no, I got no much else. People tried to make it about Trump again. People either on, on the right wing tried to deflect and say, we make we make fun of Biden because you guys did it first. And people on the left tried to like say, well, Biden might have fallen up the stairs, but look how bad Trump was. And I'm like, eh, it's just funny. None of this matters. Uh, indeed. <laughs> like, how about we critique him for his actual policies, which mostly have been very underwhelming so far. At, at the moment, have made how much impact? Well, I don't. I don't. Not. Not. Yeah, he's not done a lot. He's basically Keir Starmer, but has actual power. <laughs> okay. 
Well, on that note, uh, James, it's time to end the show. See if you can think of any good falls you've had recently. If you want to get in touch, you can. Seesawparade at gmail.com. Please do get in touch. Let us know if you agree, disagree, have a view or a review of anything we've discussed or anything you've watched. It would be excellent to hear from you. And, of course, you can tweet at Seesawparade or just get in touch directly and uh, let us know how we are doing or how you're doing. Or both. Or both. I can't say I can think of any times I've fallen recently. Um, th- I think the, the the being in my flat who falls the most is actually my cat, which might surprise <laughs> surprise folks, since cats are supposed to be so nimble and stuff. But man, Zelda just falls off windowsills okay. all the time. Yet to get to the stage of falling off windowsills, but yeah. you know the year's not over yet. No, I'll let you know next time I have a have a fall. You know, it happens. It happens when you forget how many stairs you've got ahead of you. <laughs> okay, James, thank you very much for your time. I will speak to you. <laughs> next week absolutely thank you and thank you listeners for listening and to the students of fourth valley college (laughs) oh yeah if any of you are still about well done (laughs) i hope your research